I got more speeding tickets than anybody else in the county. I want to ride in, in that car. They steal a super stalker and tell the world to eat my dust. Darlene is in the fast cars. Hoover is in the Darlene. When they get their hands on 700 horses, they've got to get into trouble. They're off on a scream and squeal and shattering smash-a-thon. A hot date in a hot car cruising at 150 rubber burden and Smokey can't put it out. Let us just blow them away. And if you want to catch them, I suggest you call the Strategic Air Command. What, what can they catch us? Yeah, if I run into a wall or something. And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the two true freaks internet radio broadcast. Ron Howard pops the clutch and tells the world to eat my dust. Chris Honeywell is an internet loudmouth. Sure, Ron Howard would appear in a nudie musical, but he would never play a lawless outlaw. Hated and reviled by his few remaining friends, he catches the attention of Thomas DJ, perhaps the world's most cunning supervillain. Ensconced in his ultra-scientific hideout, with only his robot army and stunning assistant to keep him company, DJ springs into action. What is this idiocy? In Virginia, use the molecular transmigration beam to bring this fool to me! Virginia trains the hellish mechanism, and with a clap like thunder, and in a blinding psychedelic light, Chris Honeywell stands before his tormentor. Normally, I do not suffer fools, but I see beyond the yawning chasm of ignorance that is your brain and the endless sluice of sewage which is your mouth that they form a basic animal intelligence that I may be able to mold to my own devices. Uh, okay. Therefore, in my mercy, I offer you two choices. Instant painless disintegration, or you study grindhouse movies at my feet now! Choose! Uh, I choose not disintegration. So be it. In one month, I shall assign you a movie to watch and will summon you again. Be ready, or the consequences shall be swift and merciless. Right, but how do I get to Now go! And thus began one of the most dangerous and unpredictable endeavors in evil sciencing. The Honeywell Experiment! Virginia, summon the subject! got plenty of this beer. It's, uh, it's product placement, I think. Ooh. So, um, feel I, free to indulge. I guess I gotta drink some beer for this one. Yeah. Why, why it... Why am I in overalls? <laughs> oh, I guess you, I know why. <laughs> no, no, you know that the, the teleporting transmogrifier fire tends to put you in things that are significant to the movie. That's something that we've learned in the past few months, haven't we? Yes, I, I'm kind of makes me a little worried that it's becoming self-aware in some sort of way. <laughs> but well, that's your you know, problem, I, I had, guess. I had, um... Yeah, I guess I that could be my problem. It. Yeah, I had Virginia tune it up earlier this week. And I didn't just do that just so I can watch your work in those hot pants that she's wearing now. What are you doing? <laughs> but, anyway, did you see the film? Oh, yes. Oh, I saw it. Thor go all over the place, actually. <laughs> this is, uh, this, uh, like, did, did uh, you know, I didn't check. Did Hal Needham have anything to do with this? 
I don't think they needed. It feel that this feels this feels like Hal Needham would have smiled upon it. Said, yeah. Other than the fact that that Roger Corman saw smoking the bandit and said, "I should get me one of those." Well, he sort of did in yeah. his own Roger Corman way. Yeah, and uh, this is of course without this without this film we would not have Ron Howard, Academy Award winning director. Oh, really? Was this his like foray into uh, what got him thinking that maybe that would be a lucrative career change? Actually, he did not want to do the the role until Corman offered him a job offered him a job on the Roger Corman unit, which is the directing the directing unit. Ah. For and that evolved into him making the the second of these uh, movies that he made, Grand Theft Auto, which is a lot more elaborate than this one. This one, let's put it up front, is very 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 simple. Yeah, there's, there's uh, not a lot. There, yeah, very, very, very simple. Um, I don't think they had to build a single set for this movie. Um, no, that's no. That's very convenient. I think all the budget was right inside of cars and stunts. <laughs> and beer. There's a lot of beer in this movie. Yeah. Well. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I I have to say. It is refreshing to watch a movie filmed far enough back to where drinking and driving could be used as a comedy routine throughout yeah. the whole movie. So, so we're talking, of course, about 1976's Eat My Dust, starring Ron Howard and the improbably named Christopher Norris. Because that's the most... Unmasculine looking woman I've seen in a while. <laughs> yeah, there was uh there was nothing Christopher about her. No, oh, and there the, was not. And, uh, yeah. and every member of the of the Howard family they could get at, apparently. I saw in the credits Clint was in there, but I watched it on and YouTube then it was a little fuzzy. I don't think I spotted yeah. Clint. Clint was one of the what one of the, the the gang that that they, they drop off at that girl's house. Okay. Um, I mean, I was watching on the Shout Factory TV where it's available for free, guys. So uh, you have no excuse. And uh, it's it's rather obvious that he, it's there. The, I was that he's he's in there. He's in like the, the, the second or third scene. Uh, Ron's father is in it as well. Rance Howard. As um, one of the deputies, I think. No, I like the name uh, Rance. Rance. Nobody names anybody Rance anymore. No. The thing that surprised me the most, though, is seeing A, Mr. Kincaid, and B, Paul Bartel. Well, it is a Roger Corman movie. That's true. Actually, I was convinced one of the... Uh, one of the parents was actually Mary Warrenoff, but turns out it, it wasn't. Now, I'm trying to... All we needed was Dick Miller, actually. I can't believe yeah. there was a Dick Miller. Dick Miller would have been perfect as the dumb gas station attendant. Yeah. In that one scene. Yeah, and we... Well, the other thing that surprised me about this film, that it was shot in California. Because it got... Southern Reb all over it. Well, you know, I didn't. I, I, I want to say because I didn't read. I didn't. I didn't read anything about it. But I, I, I. Well, there, there is. There's a reference of it being in California in the movie, isn't there? There is. One point, uh, Hoover, who is a uh, Ron Howard's character, drives out of the city limits, and it says, "Well, you know, safe drivers welcome to blank CA." And um, there's also a reference to the West Coast Circuit towards the very end when he's like talking with uh, with Mr. Kincaid. I can't remember the character. But Bubba. Bubba is the character's name, but for some reason, every time I see him, I'm like, oh, it's Mr. Kincaid. And 90% of our of our um, audience probably is going, who the what? 
you would think like southeastern California. Well, any any along the east end of California is right on the edge of cowboy country. So, and and they didn't have you know super redneck voices in it either. So it was yeah. it wasn't Hazard County. But, well, well, Mr. Kincaid was was definitely doing uh, a hick voice. Yes, yes. Oh, there were stereotypes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's talk. Let's talk about Farmer Hale. Oh, jeez. Yeah, there's the overalls right there. That's that's the overall <laughs> connection. And and I mean they they flat out called him a hayseed at one point. Yeah. This hayseed here, blah blah blah. Oh. Wow. He's singing a song when we first meet him about how I'd rather pitch hay than pitch woo. I'd rather... uh, this I what what really charmed me about this movie is it had that combination. It's one of those you know one crazy day movies. Yeah. But it had the combination of sort of being naturalistic and realistic, like say um, Sugarland Express. Yeah. And being just completely ridiculous on the other hand, where you know, just broad comedy, and that messed me up for the longest time, because this movie was made in 1976. Yeah. And I started getting nervous about halfway through this movie. I'm like, these kids are having way too much fun. When are things gonna go bad? Uh, when yeah. is the piper well, gonna have gonna to be, be paid? It's gonna end like crazy. What was it? Crazy Mary, Dirty Mary, and Crazy Larry, Larry and they're gonna drive into yeah. a a train or something at the end, you know. But it never did. They started talking about a, when there was like about ten minutes to go, and they're talking about let's go over the cliff. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh, they're gonna they're gonna you know, uh, Gina Davis and Susan Sarandon, Sarandon yes. it. Yes, I'm, I'm trying to think of the name of that movie, too. I know exactly yes. the Ridley Scott movie. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, but instead it was fun hijinks. <laughs> it was I fun w- hijinks with the typical, and people forget this about 70s, about, you know, like teen comedies of this era, the typical bittersweet ending. Mm-hmm. That's what it, cemented it, because all through this I'm like, yeah. how does this end, you know? Because this guy's, you know, putting prison time. <laughs> this, you know, yeah. It's not slap on the wrist. It's it's splitting rocks in prison stuff. And then when they talked about like, you know, we're gonna have to skip town. I'm like, okay, that makes yeah. sense. Or they're gonna have to go over the cliff. Or you know, or something like that. Or it ends with them slowly driving with cop cars behind them, OJ style. You know, Billy yeah. Jack one tin soldier rides away or something like that. Right. And instead, we get that ending where the girl, the girl's just like, "Well, that was fun," and uh, even said it wasn't even me, and she just like shrugs her shoulders. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> but and but that would have. They never address whether he does because there's, uh, you know, obviously his father is threatening him with jail time and you know X, X percent of, the, of your salary until you pay all the damages off, and then. You hear uh, Mr. Kincaid say, "Oh, this kid could get a, get himself a job at any short track in the country." Oh, the way yeah. Driving, and, and it ends with with him and Bubba driving around that the the stock car uh, track. So they never actually address it. No, they just sort of set it. They they set it up that like, yeah, he's probably gonna get grounded because this is a yeah. goofy movie. But, and he didn't get the girl, but you know what? He's going to get something more um, important. He's going to learn his his lot in life. And, and right. Bubba sees a little bit of him and doesn't feel, you know, and he got his car back, so it's all okay. And you know what? I kinda, This kid kind of reminds me of me when I was a little yeah. scrawny redhead before I started turning into Mr. Haney. But the, the fact is, the real reason... Uh, the real reason for this film to exist is just to watch cars do crazy crap, you know? Yes. Yep, and it, it was basically, it was, uh, you, you could tell they sat down with the, the stunt guys and they came up with all the gags that they could possibly do and then wrote the story around it. 
And uh, so, I noticed on YouTube there's actually a cut where you can watch the movie where they just cut all plot out of it, so you can just watch the car chases. Cars, okay. Which are not plot. The plot is so thin it could blow away if you if you if you puffed real hard. A guy steals a car to impress a girl. Period. <laughs> and and basically, evades and, the and, cops. And, Yes, basically. That's basically it. And it turns out that the girl isn't worth impressing. Right, right. But you know, it, it, I mean, that's as simple as that's as simple as it is. And and everything else is just sight gags or a little little nice, nice little scenes. The scenes of them in the house together. Yeah. Is is that whole little section is is nice? That's what reminded me a little bit of Sugarland Express. Right. And. Uh, and you know, so it wasn't. It, it, it's not an idiotic movie. You know, it, it's got a sort of heart and ideas to it. And Ron Howard's an appealing actor, and I mean, there's always a sense. There's never really a sense of danger, if you will. No. You know, there's never. It doesn't seem like there is a complication. You hear my air quotes up here. That there's a complication that will screw up. The, the just the hijinks. The closest just, is when they run out of gas. Yeah, exactly. And then it's like, well, we'll take the Surrey with with the without the fringe on top. No, you take the Surrey. I'm going to try on this this woman's all this woman's dresses <laughs> and chat and, and yap to my friend. And I, I like it because uh, they set up. The, um, the old Vietnam vet, or the old, I don't know if he was a Vietnam vet. At the, yeah, he probably would have been a Vietnam G. vet. G.I. He's referred to as G.I. something. G. Yeah. yeah, like G.I. Bob or something like that. And uh, so when they roll into into the where the people are out of town, I was like, well, we're definitely going to see G.I. Bob at some time. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way they mentioned him without him. And, uh, and of course, the cops were like, well, we'll just stop by his house and and it's just a shoot. Everything just ends. It's a shoot 'em up. Nobody gets shot. The cops are just yeah. like, oh, run away. You know, there's no yeah. sniper team outside of of Bob's house to <laughs> clear up. There's no there's no roadblock. There's nothing. It's just nobody thinks of doing that. They just it's just okay. We're just gonna chase these kids around all day. It's the this is the last vestiges. You know, around this time period, like in my town, there were people driving around with 12 packs on their on their passenger seat, and their friends in the back seat. You know, and if the cops caught them, they'd go, "Oh, come on, Bob, go home, <laughs> go home, and you're not in trouble." You know, but it's time to go home. And uh, yeah, there's just, I, I mean, after a while, I realized, okay, this is not taking this seriously because I was like. How many cop cars would this little town have? Yeah. You know, three, four maybe at the most, but, yeah. you know, dozens of them are just pummeled in this. Yeah. I love the fact that I don't think that that small town would have had such an elaborate Chinese restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> that was quite a gag, though. They had the people yeah, behind they had the, the exactly. wall ready to act <laughs> when the wall came down here's a question have we yes. had a movie a single movie yet with competent cops in it i don't i don't think so I, I i don't think i really don't think that the grindhouse is where competent cops live no <laughs> oh um and it this, this is what you, even though it was shot in California and it's about Californians, this is what I call a redneck romance. And in the redneck romance, cops are just kind of irritations more than anything. Yeah, they're just there to sort of drive the plot forward and then make fools out of themselves. Yeah. And they're, they're all just like the most broadly based, although my favorite of the cops was the fancy talking cop. Who would, who would describe everything in, in, you know, detailed cop talk. And I ended up with my car in a in a inverted position <laughs> over a drainage ditch. <laughs> in fact, the 
intru- most of those most of those uh, deputies are are pretty much damn near interchangeable. I think the thing is, Charles Griffith, who wrote and directed this film, damn well knew it and didn't bother. That's why they all kind of look. They're all kind of like a similar physicality. Yeah, yeah. They're all basically Cletus in in uh, yeah. in Dukes of Hazard. And the stock car uh, drivers are all. I'm willing to bet they're all real stock car drivers. Yes. Yes. Oh yeah. Oh, I'm sure. And I'm sure they were. A lot of them were recruited right there at that very racetrack that's featured yeah. in the movie. You know. I, I, and I'm sure a lot of wherever they were, there were a lot of townspeople used and stuff. It's a, yeah. a Corman movie, so but all that stuff adds to the the realism of it and the and that's what I at the beginning of it I thought this was going to be a very realistic um, movie. All the characters are it just sort of seemed like a a regular you know day at the stock car races and you sort of right. got the dynamic of the town and and all that. And then by three quarters of the way through the movie, you know they they they're they're about to crash their car and they just freeze the frame and the girlfriend goes, put it in reverse. reverse <laughs> yes! and they just reverse the film. So there I was yeah. like, okay, so much for realism in this movie. Yeah. Oh yeah. No. No. I I knew that realism was oh, oh. I knew that realism was out the door. The sequence when they were pulling away from the girl's house. When they went to pick get the, the they radio, the radio, yes, and the cars are chasing, and you can see the cuts. Yes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It was. It was the. It was the hallway scene where everybody's running through the doors in the hallway, and yeah, with the Scooby Doo mu- music playing, basically. Mm-hmm. Now, now, granted, um, we we come back to the point that this was made in 1976. Before anyone would ever thought of something has um, Lucid has uh, HD Blu-ray, so I could see that I, I could see the people in the drive-ins watching this because this is a drive-in picture. It's a grindhouse picture, but it's really a, a drive-in picture. It's yeah. the kind of thing you go to a drive-in to really experience. Um, I I can them watching this at like 10 at night and not noticing these cuts or, or the fact that, that they slow down the horse yes oh there was a lot of under cranking and over cranking yeah. and stuff like that there was also a lot of just insanely realistic the first shot of them just driving just whipping through the back roads yeah there's a lot of that point of view shot too that really is i mean the thing is we're inured to to chase we have chase scenes now with you know cranes on the back of trucks and stuff to and cgi enhancement but like that stuff on a big screen on a big drive-in screen and this is a kind of movie like i wish he did podcasts but this is a kind of movie scott gardner's dad would have gone nuts for because he was a gearhead he was a car head you know he was uh he 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 used to race cars and he would have recognized the model of car and like the engine on it and so i could see a driving through full of like muscle car people watching this movie they're rooting for the car you know yeah exactly in fact in certain markets it was it was released as just the car it was it, it, this film, even though there are human characters in it, is all all about just watching these things drive around and do nutty things, and, you know, just be silly for ninety minutes. Yeah, and uh, I mean, in 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 those, I mean, this genre, the the goods were the car chases. How visceral right. could this car chase be? How you know? And like that first one with with the shot right out of the point of view, that reminds me of many growing up like with my friend who was in their parents' car just like letting it rip in the back roads, you know. It's yeah. that, that very same feeling. And I love whenever they did the point of view of the car, whoever was dri- – they, they probably mounted the camera way over on the driver's side and then drove the car almost down the middle of the road. So it was just yeah. like running <laughs> – 
it never kept its side on the lane. It was always just running everybody yeah. off, coming the opposite direction. You kind of think this is 1976. So, so basically, what that is is a stunt driver and a, and a cameraman in the, probably in the front seat. Uh huh. Ah, oh, and we're, we're talking about 1976 cameras here. We're not talking about you know the, the red camera. That are used so much these days. No, and and the uh, and the videos uh, visuals a mess too because yeah. the film's getting shaken around. But that gives you more of that feel of when you are in a car driving through the back roads, you're getting the hell sh- shaken out of you. You know, yeah. it's a, your your head is sort of doing what the camera's doing. So it's very effective and it's just it's great to watch it. I mean, it must have been just fantastic on the big screen where you get that sense of movement. Yeah, uh, <laughs> did, did you, you notice what? the street oh, no, signs? The, like the, all the signs on the road. There was one that was like, cheeseburger, cheeseburg, yeah. four miles. <laughs> cheeseburg, four mi- six miles, east cheeseburg, four miles. Yes. <laughs> that's That's when they pick up the old man. Yes. I like what's funny about the old I'm man senile, is I'm senile. They, they were like, because at first you're just like, ah, oh, he's just a friendly old guy. But they're like, oh, we got to get across and he's senile. How are we going to do that? We'll have him declare it. Like, <laughs> yeah. he got more and more senile after he yeah. declared he was senile, too. Yeah, I mean, the, the, only, the only time he really acted senile was when he was coming into the increasingly crowded uh, pol- uh, police department. Which was like a Zucker movie or something. Yeah. It was a, it was I an extended sight gag right down to the, the window in the back with just somebody, the shadow of somebody's somebody head keeps clawing at the window. <laughs> the VIP lounge. <laughs> yes, the VIP lounge and, and the ever-increasing poker game in the back, you know, with the... With, with the... Uh, the Asian lawyer who <laughs> who's down to play poker, but no. yes. the last time I saw an illegal poker game going, it was in the back of a Chinese restaurant. So, okay. So, what did you think of this glimpse into the early days of stock car racing? I was thoroughly it, it like in the first twenty minutes or half hour of it or so. I was like. Okay, where is this going? Is this going to be all more of the same? And then, yeah. and then, like I said earlier, I started getting worried. I'm like, they're going to kill these characters because that's how yeah. they did it in the 70s. It's good that they love that tone change at the end, where it's just like, oh, remember, kids, drive safe, or you end up like <laughs> Richie Cunningham. Right. And then when it didn't go there, and then the ending that that was provided, which was a lot like. There's no such thing as there was there was going to be no such thing as a realistic ending in this unless yeah. he he was perp walked off to prison, but uh, it was just I I liked it it was it was I think the perfect ending for this movie you know it was yeah he's going to be in trouble but he's got a, a something he's got like got a mentor and a direction right and he literally had no, like the movie is all about like. If you want to read into it, I guess, maybe being young and having going forward with no direction at all, you know, and just plowing through and causing trouble without knowing what it is. But I'm sure that amount of thought was not put into making this movie, nor should it have been, you know. Uh, I loved it. It was it was a riot. I'm 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 probably going to see Grand Theft Auto after this. Grand Theft Auto is slicker. I've, I've seen Grand Theft Auto. It's slicker. It's um, a little bit more elaborate. That there's more of uh, there's more stakes involved, and there's more uh, the characters are more than just here's Hoover. He's just a yeah. gadabout. Here's Darlene. She likes to drive fast. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 almost like an extension and broadening broadening yeah. the breadth and depth of 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 this one and then i think it would be a great triple play to round it out with like corvette summer with mark hamill yeah mm-hmm. get get my stolen car chase on corvette summer was one that we used to we used to watch all the time on hbo scott gardner's dad and i right. now who was it 
was the, the female in that film? I, I don't it was... remember. It's been so long since I watched that. Okay. And then, of course, you can even go advance further with the with the uh, the Adam Rifkin film, The Chase, with Emilio Estevez and uh, Oh, Percy I Swanson. That. Or Gumball Rally, because I think Gumball Rally. Here, yeah, because Gumball Rally, I think, you know. Ron Howard does Grand Theft Auto, and Paul Bartel directs Gumball out oh. Rally, which then begets us the Cannonball Run. Even though they're not they're not connected in any way, but the fact is the success of Gumball Rally made it possible for Hal Needham to get the financing for Cannonball Run, and that that was three films. So people loved their cars in the seventies. So oh yeah. Oh, yeah. They I mean, love, love seeing them go fast, and they love seeing them crash and get crushed up. Yeah, I mean, granted, people love their cars now, or else we wouldn't have a Fast and the Furious franchise, but the Fast and the Furious franchise, it, I'm surprised nobody points out that, th that those are comic book movies. The Fast and the Furious. I've never seen a Fast and the Furious movie. Okay, well, the Fast and the Furious movie, they're basically superheroes. And their superpower is cars. Okay, so once they're behind the wheel of a car, they can drive up the side of a building if they have to or whatever. Yeah, they, they can do really impossible things. Exactly. Um, in fact, I think one of the... the and I love, I love the fast... My mother, for some reason, loves them, too. I don't know why. But it's like a tradition that we go and see each, uh, each one together. And uh, a key line, and I think it was like the... Fifth, which is one of the better ones, is when um, uh, Dwayne Johnson is telling people, do this, do this, do that, and whatever you do, don't let them get into a car. <laughs> but I mean, like, like right now, I mean, we look at that, um, and it's like I said, it's a, it's, a, it's a superhero movie. It's a comic book movie. Here, it's just a good old-fashioned comedy coming of age story because I mean that is basically what little you can say of the character arc is that Hooper was a jerk now he realizes he's got to be a responsible person or slightly more responsible well, <laughs> responsible enough to be a race car driver he was a well, what we like to call the purple rain principle <laughs> yes. the kid in the beginning of purple rain is a jerk at the end, he's a little less of a jerk. He's a jerk with direction. Yes. <laughs> and, and yeah, and 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 I mean, that that you know, I mean, I don't know how depressing it is that his future is Bubba, <laughs> basically. Yeah. But Bubba seems to be very happy with his car. You know that he's that he that yeah. car and beer are sort of his life. <laughs> <laughs> how? I don't think there is a scene. Where, um, Mr. King, uh, his name is Dave Madden, folks. I just keep calling him Mr. Kincaid because that's how I remember him. Even even when I see him on on um the reruns of the of the of laughing, I think, oh, there's Mr. Kincaid. Other the other Partridge family is members have to be not far behind. But I don't think there's a scene in this film where he isn't drinking a beer. Reaching into a refrigerator to get a beer, <laughs> or throwing out a beer. There's lots of reaching into refrigerators. Yes. <laughs> in coolers. Yes. There was lots of reaching into refrigerators and coolers in the 70s. That, yeah. To, to, to tell the truth. Uh, another thing I wanted to mention before we're out of it, before I almost forgot, was uh, the music it was by David yeah. Grisman, who's one of my favorite bluegrass like. I don't know if you'd want to call him avant-garde bluegrass, but he was a little more experimental bluegrass than most. That's another thing that, to me, made this film very southern, even though it was shot in California. Well, there's a there's a southern aspect to it, but Grisman's got a little bit of jazz going, right. especially in that song. It's not a pure like yeah. Yes. It's and you know I and he used to I mean his most notorious music partner was uh, Jerry Garcia. 
oh, okay. from the Grateful Dead, which is very Cal. You know, that's about as California music as you're yeah. gonna get. So there, there is a California edge to that song. And as far as I can tell, I've been searching and searching for the soundtrack to this record. And as far as I can tell, Grisman only really did one song for it, and that was right. Eat My Dust. Right, just was done. <laughs> Over and over, and over, over and over again. and over again. But it's a great song, and yeah. uh, but it, I mean, that opening shot where we get the credits and we see the the point of view of the guy driving the car going nuts all over the place, and Grissom's music on the soundtrack that perfectly sets the tone of what you're about to see. Yes, and it's 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 a bluegrass instrument because he, he plays a mandolin. But a mandolin's not as hicked out as, say, a banjo or a fiddle playing the melody of of the song. So it's almost got a little classy edge to it. It's it's just got a very unique sound to the soundtrack to where most stuff like this would have straight up like Lester Flats, Earl and Lester Flats and Scruggs type type. Chicken in the bread pan type stuff. And all you, all you could expect, uh, and you just expect Waylon Jennings to come on the soundtrack on. Well, now Hoover and Darlene. <laughs> well, how's old Richard Cunningham gonna get out of this one without the Fonz? Yeah, right. He's a far, far away from Minnesota. Now, this is—is is this before Happy Days? No, no, this is this is during Happy Days. This is during Happy Days. So this must have been great, actually, for people to go to the drive-in and see Richie mm-hmm. Cunningham slugging beers and 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 uh, swearing and getting laid and wreaking havoc. It must have been great for Ron Howard, actually. It must have been fun after Opie and, and Richie. Right. And uh, and uh, ha- and hadn't uh, American Graffiti had already come out too? Yeah, that's it, correct. So. It, it, it well, must... it's because of American Graffiti that we got Happy Days. Because Happy Days was originally a uh, a sketch on Love American style. Oh, that's right. Okay, guys. There was a TV series once called Love American Style. It was an anthology series. So it was basically a sketch comedy show where you would have two to three stories every week. It was a half an hour show. It was like two to three stories every week. Uh, with different actors, uh, which all were basically supposedly about love, you know, relationships and stuff. And, and they, they did were one... all the TV actors that you could, yeah. you know, the love boat actors. Yeah. Um, and one of the sketches was called, I think it was called, uh, Love in the Happy Days, or something to that effect. And they decided, to, I guess, when American Graffiti hit and hit big, they said, well, let's, let's make that into a you know, a series. And that begat us Happy Days, which begat us all, uh, Laverne and Shirley and Mork and Mindy and uh, Out of the Blue. People forget Out of the Blue, which lasted only one season. I don't even remember that. Who is that? Dugan is an angel who is tasked with helping out of, of, of this family. And it's like, of course, Dennis Dugan shows up in one ep- episode at, at you know, uh, because the devil has got his hooks into the fonts. Oh my god! <laughs> and, and so he shows up in one episode of Happy Days before Out of the Blue premiered. I remember that episode of Happy Days. Yeah. Love so, American Style is a brilliant idea because it's yeah. it's just a way to to run stuff up the flagpole, you know, do a bunch of speculative shows and and grab series off it. Well, you and I remember back in the in the old days when during the summer they would just sh- uh, the networks would just show the pilot pilot after they, pilot pilot after pilot after pilot. That's where I got to see Snavely, which is a show I almost thought was a fever dream until I actually got confirmation that it existed. Okay, what was Snavely? Snavely was the American was the first attempt at an American Fawlty Towers with Harvey Corman oh, wow. playing Basil Fawlty. Wow. And Betty White playing playing uh, the Prunella Scales part. And I thought it was Andy Kaufman playing Manuel, but it turns out it wasn't. 
I remember seeing one now. I can't even remember the name of this one, but it only ran one episode, and it was about the devil and a woman a woman who is his assistant or girlfriend or whatever. You're not a poor devil, are you? He was a casting agent, or he was a music oh. producer, and the whole thing was him. That lasted more than one episode, Did my it? friend. I hate to break it to you. Room at the Top. Room at the Top, yes. Room and that at was the one top. I could never remember if I... One of the two musicians who were the, who, um, were the uh, protagonists of that show, Paul Schaefer. Oh, my God. My spirit animal. <laughs> room at the top i gotta room find it top. because like i saw it as a as a little kid and the at the end of the first episode the devil was just starting to get them into his snare <laughs> and he's saying to the tune of the happy days are here again he, he say rotten yeah. days are here again the skies are filled with drear again Yes. Let's sing a song of fear again. And I've always remembered the words to that song, like, since I was a little kid. And that's all, all I remember was that he was, you know, kind of a flash. He's the devil. So he's a flashy yeah. character. And it was and it was setting it up to be, you know, a series, a bunch of episodes of him just narrowly missing them. Getting yeah, him to sign the contract. Drat, this time. I So close the, this time. Top or, it might be a year at the top, because I think the idea was that they signed a contract for, like, one year of success. Oh, and, and, and then he the, got the to whole, collect. And he, then he gets to collect, and the whole, the whole premise of the show was, these two guys are going to trick the devil, you know. So, uh, but yes, that lasted. That was on CBS, and that, I can't believe I remember this shit. Uh, and it lasted a couple of episodes. It was actually much like the, the infamous, and nobody remembers this, the Slapshot TV series. I remember hearing that it was supposed to happen, but I never got to... It wasn't oh, it on happened. CBS, so I didn't it get It was to on see ABC. It. it happened. The only people uh, they um, they were able to sign from the from the movie were the Hanson brothers. Oh, well, that that's... Is, well, I mean, you're definitely not getting Paul Newman... Yeah, it yeah. was just like when they tried to make the Animal House TV series and built got, the house and and got a couple people for it. You can't do it, not then. Well, you got you got D Day, you got Stephen Firstworth was in was in Delta House, but the, of course they couldn't get John Belushi, right. so they got Zero Mustel's son to play uh, Bluto's younger brother, who is newly inducted yeah. I can't believe I'm remembering all this stuff uh, I even remember the first episode it was a they tricked people in a bomb shelter into thinking the atom bomb had gone off but you can't you can't do Slapshot in Animal House on 70s TV because it had oh. to be so bland and then they had to come up with like weird baby talk for any kind of it was like when they although the Bad News Bears was a successful TV show it, you know, they had to say horse hockey or horse puppy yeah. or something like that, and and to, to see Slapshot, like half the appeal of Slapshot, was the that '70s used car style um, creative swearing, yeah. characters who had organic just curse like the worst cursing at that time built into their into their daily vocabulary, and that stuff was. I mean, of course, because I was a, I was, you know, ten, ten right. to twelve years old when I would see it, so that was just awesome. But still, watching it today, seeing you know Jack Warden swearing and throwing beer cans at the ground and used cars is hilarious. And you can't do it on TV. You can't, you can't capture that horrible, the horrible aspect of, of Slapshot where they would just, you yeah. know, say terrible things to each other. For some reason, the one line that sticks in my mind about, and I, I own it, I love Slapshot, but the one thing that sticks into my mind is Paul Newman yelling at an opposing hockey player, your wife eats pussy. Yes, yes. <laughs> and, at, and at the time, that was, like, just crazy swear. That that was something crazy to say. Having yeah. It, and Paul, but, you know, I mean, you just had, and all those movies would have a collection of those classic 70s 
male, you know, men's men, male actors who, yeah. and, and, and by that time they'd gotten to the age where they were still in shape, but they got a beer gut. So it's awesome. Put a beer in their hand, have them swear and be yeah. swearing tough guy. And you're off to the races. But, um, I remember, I mean, guys, I, I know it's hard to believe. Uh, I know a lot of you people are wondering what the hell we're talking about. And I know it's hard to believe that there was a time, and I remember this, the first time they used the word bastard on network TV was on an episode of MASH. It and would remember, be MASH, too, of all yeah, the... Yeah, it would be MASH. MASH was a place where a lot of the boundaries got shattered. But um, the first time they, I heard the word bastard on TV, I was like, what? How did they do that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, now, of course, it's de rigueur to hear people talk about you're a dick and you're thinking like. But back in the seventies, man, everything was so sanitized. Yeah, yeah. Seven seventies sitcoms had that. You know, it was a rare sitcom that wasn't just so sterilized. You had your matches and like WKRP and stuff like yeah. that. That 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 put a little extra funkiness into it but yeah, yeah it was it was painful the fact to watch that they, 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 they even got away with kind of sort of implying that Howard Hesman's character smoked pot yes <laughs> and 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 like in the 70s actually yeah actually the 70s tested that you know they they would get on social issues because you had the whole right. you know all the family um I'm trying to remember the producer well, the whole Norman Lear Norman the whole Lear, Lear yes yeah yeah and but by the time the 80s hit it was like so sanitized that every show was it was just painful to yeah. painful to watch it's they're still okay as maybe uh a 10 minute parody <laughs> aping <Yeah>. that style <laughs> mm-hmm. well it's like if you guys who who have never experienced this want to, to see what it's like tune into one of those nostalgia channels like cozy tv or me tv and see just how unrealistic the world was through the eyes yeah. of network tv how 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 yeah i mean more so i think even than the 50s <laughs> yeah uh the 50s and the 80s sort of mirror each other with that just sort of like Here's the most sanitized version of what we are as a society. And it was, you know, the beginning of just sort of... The 80s were like where they, you know, they didn't have literal, out, like, computer algorithms, yeah. but they were starting to develop, you know, what what will, what will offend the least and appeal to the most theoretically, you know, so everything was yeah, made well, to appeal the to the masses. The fact that there was, there was a laugh track back then. Yeah. To guide you in now, of course. I, now, of course, there there are no laugh tracks. But back in the seventies, they were regulation. Yeah, and if they didn't have a laugh track, it felt weird. Yeah, well, it felt weird. It didn't we'll have. It, they they set a rhythm to it. You know, there was it, it became sort of its own little language in itself. In fact, you, you watch Mash very beginning and you see how they eventually phase out the laugh track mm-hmm. you know but it, those early episodes of, of it is smeared all over with it with these people most of which are probably dead at the time dead yes <laughs> so it's um but yeah but this this was this was fun yeah i was very very pleasantly surprised at this one it was yeah. it was completely not what I what I expected it to be. Well, it was sort of what I expected it to be, but well, it wasn't yeah. totally like what I expected it to be, and that was a pleasant surprise. Mm-hmm. Well, it was the thing is, of course, most I mean people think of Grindhouse pictures, and they think of the violence and the sex, and that's why I can't stand neo neo Grindhouse. Yes, because most of the time, it, it's. They do all the, the, the sex and the violence without anything like characterization. But sometimes it's just something like this, which is obviously for a very niche audience. This isn't 
for uh, for everybody. This did not play very very many places in here in New York City. You know? No, no, yeah, no. This wasn't a Times Square, like you said. It was a it was a drive it was a, a drive it was a rural drive-in movie more mm-hmm. than a than a Times Square movie. Right. And because uh, it's it's actually it's quite clean. There there are curse words in it. That's why they got their R rating, I guess. Because there's no nudity. Nope. I mean, the post Tasteful naked back. That's it. Tasteful naked back and and, and a shot of uh, Christopher Norris in a bra. And that's about it. Uh, And and no the only violence is of the cartoon. They even have cartoon sound effects in them. Yes. You know? Yeah. I don't think there's a single person injured or killed in the entire movie. Yeah. They seem to go out of their way to show, look, everybody's okay. Yeah, it reminded me of the A-Team episode episode I remember watching where, you know, it was a car chase and the good guys just riddled this van with machine gun bullets. The van flips over, rolls, crashes, and then they dub in the voices of someone going like, oh, you all right? Yeah, what about you? Yeah, I'm fine. (laughs) Or, or like the, or like uh, episodes of GI Joe, where they would always show the people, you know, surviving, Craw- crawling out of the wreckage or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Just so, so kids could know that you could crash the hell out of a car and walk away from yeah. it. So this is the kind of, you know, granted, as we get further into this experiment, we will start seeing some of those comedies with the there's one on the docket very soon called Pets which is just B-I-Zar and there's plenty of there's plenty of nudity in that one but oh good this, <laughs> yeah I, I, yeah thank you you sick fuck <laughs> <laughs> I know I know you know I, I'm the one that that has the uh, the silent assistant <laughs> But, um, but yeah, no, it, this is, I, I would not call it essential viewing if you're interested in drive-ins, but it, it can't hurt. If, if it, this is sort of like, if you like smoking the Bandit Cannonball Run type movies, the, the, uh, or Dukes of Hazard or stuff, right. something like that, you, you will really totally enjoy this. It, it's sort of like those mixed with a little bit of American Graffiti. Right. Something like that. Something, you know. It was designed for a very specific... It's not as specific as, you know, we've talked briefly in in earlier episodes about uh, Earl Ownsby. Oh, geez, yeah. You know, it's not as totally specific as some of these regional directors, and I'm hoping I can get my hands on, on, on some of them so we can discuss them. But it is... It is fairly... It was meant specifically for car culture a car culture which meant the south and parts of the 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 west coast i call them the car go cult (laughs) car okay so do you recommend this film i highly recommend this film i it's very very charming Mm -hmm. and and it's fun to see ron howard it's fun to see ron howard doing anything We've got a Ron Howard theme running since we had him in the first nudie musical too. Now we now we have him in Eat My Dust. Yeah, I, I will say I I think Grand Theft Auto is, is is better, and it's like you can kind of see that uh, Ron Howard did have some sort of talent behind the camera, even in that first film that he did. Oh, I would imagine. I would imagine he would have such a a. Uh, advantage over just most people doing it just from being around films and TV his whole life he's one of these people though but he's one of those people that if you there's an excellent documentary about uh, Roger Corman that I can't um, recommend highly enough and uh, they interview him and he says you know this guy took a chance on me you know, this guy gave me the gave me the tools to, to, to become what I wanted to become. That's also the documentary 
where you get to see Jack Nicholson cry, and it is a eerie sight. I bet it is. <laughs> I bet it's something it you is, don't want to ever see again. It's like they're interviewing Jack Nicholson about, and he's like, "He gave me my break. He, he, he got me started." And then he starts bawling, and you're like, "What the?" F-? <laughs> how many people? That, how many people are there out there that can say that about Roger Corman? I mean, that's just that oh. aspect of his career is amazing. Is oh. like makes it all uh, worth it. Right? I, I, uh, he had his birthday recently. He's 92 years old. God bless his home. He's still around for a long time. Um, and he, he's still active. He's still making movies. Although they're they're all like you know, direct to video movies for uh for, for City. Yeah. But you know he's um, making money off them. So so I was talking to to the, the seniors that I, I I teach twice a week, and I said said to them I said if you've loved if you ever loved a Martin Scorsese film or a Francis Ford Coppola film or, or a Joe Dante film or an Alan Arkish film or you enjoyed watching Robert De Niro or Jack Nicholson or Angie Dickinson. And, and I went through this whole list and said, you owe it to this man. Because yep. this is the man that guy gave them their stars. Uh, and, and we're going to see more... Trust me, we're going to see more Corman. I don't see how we couldn't. <laughs> exactly, we couldn't. And, and I also want to point out, uh, the man never lost money. Yeah, I've got, I've got his autobiography, and that's the yeah, title of I it. Yeah, and I never lost money. He broke even on one film, The Intruder. But everything else he made money on. And that's, of course, one of his best films, too. Yeah, that's the... the, the, the uh, Shatner. Shatner uh, racism drama. Yes. Um, And the other thing, of course, is that he loves... People think of him as, you know, low-brow cinema guy... But he also is the reason we got uh, a lot of foreign, great foreign films in the 70s. Right. Because he picked them up for nothing, put them on the art house circuit, make his money. He's also the reason we have the Wicker Man. So. He's also the reason we had a lot of, like, sort of crappy low-budget European films oh, yeah. that got redubbed and, and re, rejiggered. Either way, it's, it, it works out great for us. Yes, so, so Roger Corbin, happy birth, I mean, even though this is going to be played long, long after um, his birthday. His birthday, happy birthday, Roger. I hope one day to shake your hand, look you in the eye, and thank you for all the pleasure you've given me in my life. It might be far enough that we'll be just like just before his next birthday, so yeah, happy upcoming <laughs> 93rd birthday. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I've been very lucky with that. And I've managed to, most of my heroes I've managed to actually meet and thank. Um, one of them, unfortunately, passed away recently. I didn't get a chance to. But. Oh, I was sort of hoping we could stay on the upbeat. Uh, <laughs> well, oh, are you talking about uh, um, Larry Cohen? course we're going to jump into the the time machine so we can go back in time to when it's closer to his death so that we can discuss something oh is it good well are we at least sticking with like sort of an upbeat movie or <laughs> oh okay all right virginia fire it up
visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two Two True True Freaks. Suck it to me?